the Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, let's say good morning to the aforementioned Rob Davis, former Toronto City Councillor, founder of Rob Davis Associates. Bob Reed is here, principal at BroadwayStrategy.com and the guy behind the ingenious touchdowns and fumbles. Laura Babcock from Power Group Communications, also host of The O Show. Good morning to y'all, and let me start with the guy who used to serve on council, although it was pre-amalgamation. Toronto taxpayers could be looking at 10.5% property tax hikes. There's a million ways to look at this, so I'll let you take it in any direction. I mean, somehow we got to pay the bills, but at the same time, as Brad Bradford was saying, who can afford it? Yeah, I don't want to say I told you so, but, you know, <laughs> um, this happened once before in, in 1991, uh, before you were born, John, and uh, uh, Metro Council raised taxes something like uh, 12, 13%. Olivia Chow was part of the Metro Council at that time. Um, I think that people should be very, very afraid, or they shouldn't worry, and this is all performative. This is all about scaring well, do you think pe- it's a threat? I yeah. think it's a little bit of a threat, and I, and if you listen to what um, Shelley Carroll, wonderful lady, said the other the other day, you know, uh, you know, maybe it's our job to get the feds and the province to come forward and help us out. This may be part of a campaign on the part of the mayor and the budget chief to engage the residents of Toronto in a massive lobbying effort of the federal government to chip in the amount of money that they should be chipping in to make sure that things like shelters and other sort of um, uh, income splitting uh, policies are basically funded by the people who charge us income tax uh, because that's a progressive tax. So that's number one. So it's, it's either real or it's a fake. And oftentimes, you know, provincial federal governments come into power and they say the books are a mess. And they use that as the, uh, to reset uh, the, how should I say it, the baseline for how people uh, look at the finances of the, uh, of the government that they run. And that's, I think that's part of what's happening here. And I appreciate it. It's part of a much longer conversation. But, Bob Reed, I'll come to you next. I asked Brad Bradford not once but twice, okay, what would you cut? And he didn't offer anything. And that seems to be the problem. Whenever we get into how objectionable it is to raise taxes, then we get to, okay, well, let's cut expenses. And nobody ever has any ideas. Well, that's been looked at, and what we've been told time and time again when it's looked at is we're down to the bone. There, there's, there's no fringes that can be cut. There's no frills that can be cut that are going to solve the problem. Uh, I think optically there are some things like expanding bike lanes on Bloor Street and other things that optically are not good when you're going to people and saying you're going to pay 10% plus 1.5% more. Let's remember there's two components to the to, to the budget and what we pay as ratepayers in the city. There's a property tax increase and then the city building fund that's 1.5 on top of that. So we're looking at 11.5 here if, uh, if it's a 10% property tax hike. Now that said, uh, I think Rob Davis is, uh, is, is right that there is some posturing going on that maybe, the, that maybe the, the end game is to get it down below 10 and we'll all feel like winners. Uh, but uh, this is this is not a surprise when Olivia Chow gets gets elected mayor with a, a sizable vote and uh, campaigned on what she described as a modest tax increase, which her budget chief is now saying is a substantive tax increase. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Justin Trudeau saying three modest deficits, and here we are eight years later. And Laura yep. Babcock, just before I flip to you, I'm just getting a text from uh, my original source for the 10.5, who points out that if they don't get the money from the feds, it'll be 16.5. 
Oops. Right. So this is <laughs> so this is an opening salvo, <laughs> and I think uh, we've seen it in other municipalities as well as they go through their budget process. We're post-pandemic. We have critical infrastructure needs, and we obviously have a huge crisis in homelessness, uh, and we need emergency shelters. And there's a lot of room for the provincial government and the federal government to do more to help municipalities. So this is an opening number to shock the system, to get people upset, to get them on their phones, to get them calling their representatives. And it'll be up to Olivia Chow to tell people who to call and what to ask for and what is what is the pressure point on the province and the federal government. And I'm sick of the excuse that there is no money in the Canadian pie. That's nonsense. There is. We are a wealthy nation vis-a-vis other places. And we see things like our premier spending, you know, half a million dollars on a parking garage at Ontario Place that nobody asked for. So the fact is, there's money always. It comes down to priorities. you got to look at your budget like we all do with our families and say there are wants and there are needs. A lot of the wants are ideological. A lot of the needs are survival. Let's focus on the needs. And you know, everybody, let's just hold off on the wants until we get ourselves in a better fiscal place as a country and as a society. And one last question, Rob Davis, for you before we move to another topic, but is it somewhat irksome to have run against Olivia Chow to have said this was going to happen and then it happened? Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, we get the government we deserve. People people saw the debates. They heard the, the interviews on News Talk 1010. It's awfully hard to hear anything in those debates. <laughs> well, but they, but they made... But they they made a choice, and they chose the person uh, who, among the 102 candidates running, was most likely to raise their taxes and look at 10 or 12 or 13 or 16 percent as modest, and that's what they got. So you know maybe it's a good lesson. It's like when we elected Bob Ray and uh, as premier of the province. Nobody of expected that to happen. Nobody expected it to happen, but it never happened again. <laughs> okay. Uh, am I being too nostalgic about uh, the Harborfront Center? Because uh, it was part of my youth. Uh, but Bob Reed, it seems to be in trouble. And maybe this is one of those things we have to let go of, kind of the way we let go of Ontario Place. We can't have nice things, it seems, uh, and especially along the waterfront. And I, I frankly don't understand why. I, I don't understand why Ontario Place could be so successful, so uh, stable, so sustainable, so popular for many, many decades, and then it gets shuttered and has to be completely overhauled as the only way to save it. And now Harborfront is looking like it might be in the same boat. It's it's very, very frustrating to me as a, as a Torontonian and begs the natural question, why is it we can't find anybody who can manage this? And I've read the backstory on the, the latest uh, uh, CEO who came in and basically found out she'd been handed a bill of goods that, uh, as, as Adam Juan said, it's like buying a house and finding out there's no wiring in it. Yeah. Um, it was the, the whole operation was in, was in bad shape and, and was hollowed out. Okay, we need a plan to address that with some proper sponsorship, with some proper uh, core funding. Uh, but surely this can be done because other cities all over the world seem to be pretty good at it. What's wrong with us? Well, and Laura Babcock, I'm not one of those people who's always privatized everything. But honestly, maybe if we sold off the harbor front, those buildings and that ice rink and that platform and all that stuff in the waterway, um, somebody would come in and find a reason to attract people to go there and make a profit. Well, we've been seeing a trend towards this, haven't we? I mean, let's go back to the tax conversation. So for years and years, cities have trumpeted the fact that they've kept their tax rates at inflation rates, 2 3%. Yay, that was great. 
but there wasn't funding going into these public buildings that we all have fond memories of. And then all of a sudden you get to a point where what? You got to gut them and sell them off for parts. Uh, sell them to sponsors, have secret deals. There's a 45-year secret deal in Hamilton for some of our downtown entertainment infrastructure. We got the secret deal with Ontario Place. I've got no, I used to run a chamber of commerce. I got no problem with bringing in private public sector partnerships and sponsorships. And there's a lot of value to looking at things dynamically. Uh, but I'm a little bit more concerned with this notion that on the one hand, people have a hue and cry about tax increases, and then at the same time, the only solution to these decaying public properties is private sector investment. I mean, this is a choice that we've been making. If you want to sustain public assets through public monies, then you've got to cough up the money as the public. It's just the way it goes. But you're firing your your, your uh, ammo at the wrong level of government. Yeah, Harborfront is a federal agency, and, and let's also remember the history. I remember going to Harborfront as a child, and the stench from the rotting and dead fish would come, you know, wafting over the pier. Um, I remember going to the power plant. They had a great art exhibit. I'm, you know, a bit of a a photographer and there was this one um, display. This woman took a photograph and developed the film in the lake water because it had so much uh, in terms of chemical content that she was able to develop her film in Lake Ontario water. (laughs) The lake and the waterfront have changed. Harborfront hasn't. That's the real crux of the matter. Harborfront has not adapted to the new realities of of what Torontonians seek uh, for entertainment. Um, It's competing with all the other things that are happening on the waterfront and it's not, not being competitive in that in that race and it needs an overhaul but i don't think that you lay the the problem at the foot of municipal governments when it's a federal agency and it's just one of those things it's a, it's a little bit anachronistic to have this you know one shining gem on the water when there are now lots of shining right. gems on the water and it just needs to be buffed and polished and yeah, re- people, reset in the right kind of uh, I still setting people don't go there because it doesn't have a mandate i mean they took away the skating rink right uh they don't do a lot of live shows anymore right. so it's like a right. glorified community center yes absolutely i but- also think that if i can just on the comment about my where i'm targeting my guns uh i've never been one who buys into this you know bifurcating or, or thriving whatever the word is, uh, the the complaint. Like, it's one tax dollar that I pay, right? And there are three levels of government who play this shell game, constantly blaming one another. On our municipal tax discussion, I talked about a hue and cry and raising a campaign against the, the provincial government to do more. I mean, they play us off each other. They play They play each other, and we are the ones who sit here and complain. So, yes, federal, private, public, in provincial, municipal, it's called partnerships. Work together, cough up the cash, and get our assets built. A store clerk at a convenience store in Peterborough was hit with a baseball bat during an attempted holdup. He managed to get control of the bat, chased the guy out of the store, and gave him a good beating. And now the store clerk is in a jail cell. Didn't even get bail. Uh, Bob Reed, I don't think this necessarily qualifies for touchdowns and fumbles because that would be <laughs> home runs, home runs and bunts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would be a little crass, I think, but. Um, uh, it, it it sounds like maybe in the adrenaline of the moment, the the store clerk, when he got control of the bat, kind of took things a little bit too far. Allegedly, um, the, the the thing is 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 before the courts. But boy, I don't know if I was him, uh, I'd want to make sure that guy wasn't getting up or coming back as well. 
So it's uh, it's it, it'll be interesting to see the evidence that gets presented at trial. Yeah, Rob Davis, it's not entirely comparable, but in France, I don't know if this still exists, but it used to be if a man discovered his wife in bed with another man, he could kill him and get away with it. Um, oh, wow. Is, is there any margin for understanding that this guy was just attacked with a bat and maybe he wanted to get a little payback? I, I think so. I'm not suggesting we just adopt Napoleonic law, but I, I think uh, we had we had a law. Actually, what a coincidence. Stephen Harper and Olivia Chow worked on this legislation. It was called the Lucky Moose Law because there was right. a, an East Chinatown businessman in Toronto who kept uh, getting, uh, becoming, he was the victim of petty theft. He basically made a citizen's arrest and he got charged. And so they made it so that, if, if I remember correctly, um, you have the right to use reasonable force to protect yourself and protect your property. The question is, as Bob says, did this particular store owner go a little too far in the heat of the moment? I would like to think he didn't, and I'm hoping that he uh, is found not guilty or the charges are dropped. We're going to have to call it there because we're at a racetrack. But my thanks to Rob Davis and Bob Reed, Laura Babcock on round two. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.